you slept in. Hey, we're not judging. Sometimes you just need to get those Z's. And if you do need to snooze, we'd much rather you did that in a premeditated fashion than in our pews on a Sunday morning. You can always catch up with the sermon later, right here on the Sunday Morning Sleep In Podcast. Now you'll still miss out on the intergenerational community and the support and encouragement that we experience within that. And, and you'll miss out on the music and the charming children, but at least you get us. I'm Chris Marshall. And I'm Susan Foster. And we are United Methodist Pastors in Reno, Nevada. We're not theological experts. We're not homiletical harbingers of a new age. We're your average pastors helping our congregations think through life's big questions every week. We started this podcast, so if you're away from home or working, coaching your kids' soccer team, maybe you actually get to have a vacation this year, you can keep up with some of the ideas floating around the church. Each episode is a conversational version of a sermon we gave on Sunday. So whatever day it is when you're listening to this, we just ask that you would receive it with an open mind and an open heart. And we're really serious about that open mind. We don't think you have to agree with everything we say. In fact, we encourage you to question, to disagree, and to figure out what you think. But our sincere hope in the middle of all of that is that you will experience the mysterious, loving force in the world we know as God moving into your life as you consider this. So we are on step five of the 12-step process as we talk through Richard Rohr's Breathing Underwater in our sermon series around recovery and salvation and how very much those things have in common. And so this week, we are talking about accountability. Yes. And I started off by comparing sort of Christian accountability with American accountability systems. Mm-hmm. So I uh, love a podcast called In the Dark. In the Dark, it, it's not quite true crime, but it's sort of one case that gets spread out over a number of weeks and is explained mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. APM. And the second season is about a guy named Curtis Flowers. Curtis Flowers has been in the news recently because the Supreme Court took his case for consideration and actually just ruled to overturn his conviction for the death penalty for a quadruple murder. Wow. Yeah. So the podcast goes back through the history of this case, and they say this man has been tried six times for this crime. Ugh. How can that happen, you ask? How can you be tried six times for the same crime? Well, in 1996, this quadruple murder happened, and the first time the prosecutor uh, executed misconduct during the trial. Oops. So it was uh, reversed. The conviction was reversed. The second time, there was prosecutorial misconduct. The third time, the judge was found to have racial bias. Oh, my gosh. The fourth time... There was a mistrial. The fifth time, there was a mistrial. mistrial. And the sixth time, there was a conviction. And the Supreme Court found that there was prosecutorial misconduct. misconduct. So this poor African-American man in this tiny Mississippi town has not been able to get a fair trial since 1996. He's been in prison for 23 years Mm -hmm. without a fair trial and without any kind of lasting conviction. And so... I brought up this case and I said, this is an extreme case. This is not how our justice system usually really works. Or it is not how we intend it to work. It's not how we intend it to work. However, it just makes me really grateful that God's way doesn't work like, like that, that at yeah, all. Amen. Um, Christianity aspires to work differently. And so we talked about the difference between retributive justice, which is the justice that needs to punish 
right. somebody Reward, for wrongdoing. punishment. Yeah. Versus restorative justice, which is about restoring relationships and helping people to live in a more just and whole kind right. of way. Uh, in fact, studies have shown that the least effective way of creating lasting change is through punishment. Yeah. Because people, people, it just doesn't last. It doesn't stick. It doesn't stick. Um, and I, I talked about, I talked about it in the way that we need that, that um, here we are, we're going to talk about accountability, but we need to, we need to take a stock of some of our assumptions mm-hmm. because we assume we're talking the same language a lot of times when we start talking about this stuff. Right. And here we are, you know, very intentionally in this series talking differently. Right. Yes. We assume the retributive justice is the only kind of justice there is. Right. And, and, and that's been ingrained in us both culturally inside and outside of the church. Yeah. Because, um, you know, if, if your earliest understandings of what happens in the cross is that is, God needed to punish, punish people. people for being sinful. Right. But, and, and that God needed to be, you know, have that, that justice. And, and we're saying, mm, that's not what we're really yeah. talking about. Yeah. Well, and now as an adult, when I look at the cross, what I see are humans punishing Jesus for not fitting into their system. Exactly. Which is very, very different. Which is very different from assuming in, that God is out to get you. Right. And when we start to look at these things, we have to understand that the, the revelation of what is happening in the cross is really important. Right. So that sin is not an opportunity to punish Right. Sin, failure, mistakes, falling down, addiction, all of that is an opportunity for transformation. Exactly. It's an opportunity to notice something that's not working and try and create a way that works for everybody. Right. And, and Richard Rohr talks about this as a, as a place to enter into the economy of God's grace. Right. That it's actually humanizing mm-hmm. to admit the truth. And we are more likely to admit the truth if we don't think the hammer is going to fall. Right. And so in order to get to that place of admitting the truth and, and starting from a place of, of honesty and integrity, we actually have to trust that the hammer is not going to fall on us. Right. And that's, that's, that's been some of the work of the previous steps, mm-hmm. right? Like we can't, you can't go right to step five. Yeah. Right. And I, and I keep thinking about that as we, um, have this conversation around these steps is that there's a reason they're they're numbered. <laughs> yeah, they're in order. Right. So quick recap then. Yeah. Number one is to admit that we are powerless against our addiction or our habit or our whatever, mm-hmm. and that our lives have become unmanageable. In other words, there's something in our lives that we can't fix on our own. Right. Number two is we came to believe that there was a higher power that might restore us to sanity. In other words, there might be a God out there who knows better than we do. Right. Number three, we made a decision to surrender our lives and our will to this God as we understood God. And, I, and I, the phrase that keeps reverberating with me, and I said this on Sundays, is to trust God more than we trust ourselves. Yes. Which I think is like like our biggest addiction is to trust in ourselves. Yes. So, so do we actually trust God? And then step four was we performed a searching and fearless moral inventory. In other words, we weren't afraid of the truth. Right. We're willing to shine a light and, and not to admit it to anybody else yet, but just to admit it to ourselves. Well, or just to, to put a light on it, to, to look at it, to admit it's there. To admit it's there. And then this week is to admit to God, ourselves, and another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. In other words, to start with the truth. 
say, God, here's what's true about me. And here's somebody else who I can tell the truth to who's not going to judge me or hate me or abandon me. They're going to help me to see God's grace reflected in them. Yeah. So that's sort of where we are. And um, the thing that I found powerful, you were talking about the cross, that God is not bound by human rules. Oh, thank goodness. God is not stuck reacting to everything that we do wrong with punishment. God chooses not to be bound by that. God is free. Right. And so God chooses instead to be bound to God's self and to the essential nature of God, which is love. Which is love. And and that, yeah. And I, the way that, um, that Richard Rohr talks about, you know, the very nature of God is one who always acts with total freedom and divine integrity. Yep. Total freedom and divine integrity. Not... If we change, but so, so that, that we can, can change. change. Right. Right. Um, I kind of think about step four is taking the flashlight around the, around the closet. Uh-huh. And, um, and step five is like opening the door and emptying it. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. that, there's a difference there. Mm-hmm. We might know it's in the closet, but we can just shut the door. Yeah. And step five says, no, you're not going to shut the door. You're going to keep moving in a direction where that is no longer yeah, where you're not bound by the stuff in your closet. Yeah. So confession. Confession comes into this. Or uh, in the Catholic Church, it's the sacrament of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And we're not Catholic. We have two sacraments that neither one of them are confession. Right. Um, but the sacrament of reconciliation is performed by a priest in the Catholic Church because they have tried to train these people to be non-reactive and loving, mm-hmm. no matter what gets expressed to them. Right. And in in the Gospels, when Jesus sends people out to love, forgive, and serve, he doesn't just send out 12 people. He sends out everybody, all the disciples, to love, forgive, and serve because he thinks that we all have the capacity to do this. And perhaps the reason why the Catholic Church has had to control it is because we're not all very good at it sometimes. Yeah, we're not all very good at it sometimes. We... Yeah, and I'm and, and in fact, it's one of the scariest things to say to somebody that, that they should tell something like this to somebody else because what is our one of our biggest fears is that we're gonna it's gonna be held against us. Yeah, we're gonna be shamed. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be punished. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Protestant Church, though, I think we've we've made another mistake. The Catholic Church has tried to restrict who can do confession. In the Protestant Church, we've just sort of said, yeah, 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 I don't want to know. Right, right. It's not important to say out loud. It's not important enough to say out loud. You deal with God on your own. And that creates its own difficulty because, as you were saying before, it matters if we can say it out loud. Yeah. The, the example I give, I gave for that was talking about how, you know, in the non, not, not in a different arena maybe of our lives, you know, we might have a big dream. And I don't know about you, but if I say that dream out loud. Mm-hmm. It's that real. means I have to make it real. Yeah. Or I'm a failure. Or I'm a failure. And if I don't say ever say it out loud, yeah, it doesn't have that power. It's not real. Right? It's not real. Yeah. And it's the same with the things that we're trying to hide. Mm-hmm. So the goal of all of this is not purity. It's not, we say it out loud, God forgives us, and then we're off the hook and we can do whatever we want again. Nope. It's maturity. It's here's this thing I'm struggling with and I need to deal with it. Right. Accountability is really not about putting somebody else in charge of your issues. Or your behavior. It's not about saying, "Well, I told this person, and now they're, they're now they're in charge of me." Is it sort of? It's not. It's not like like when we used to be in charge. Your different no, friends used to be in Sunday, charge of you, Chris. Sunday afternoons when Trent friends were in charge of me, they put themselves in charge of me. I did not put them in charge of me. <laughs> um, no, we're supposed to be these kind of soul friends to each other, mm-hmm. where we can be safe space for each other, right. where we can, you know, not. 
uh, not throw a lot of expectations on each other so that we can be honest about who we are because that's the basis of maturity is to own it. Right. Um, so this this word for this, this kind of soul friend is Anamkara. Yeah. Which I love. And I might get in a tattoo at some point. Anamkara, soul friend, the person who you can confess to and who will reflect back to you, not judgment, but the love of God and the hope for reconciliation. So forgiveness, and this is my favorite definition of forgiveness, right? is giving up all hope for a better or different past. Amen. It's not about like having some power over somebody else that if you don't forgive them, then they're condemned forever. It's you choosing to let go of something that has happened to you or that you've done so that you can choose something different in the future. So that like God, we're not bound to our own mistakes. Well, and we, the, one of the passages was the passage from John about, you know, if you unbind it, it's unbound. And if you bind it, it's bound. And, and we can read that with our mind that says punishment, right? I'm going to continue to punish them. But the problem is, is that um, it's where you put yourself in that sentence. Yeah. What is the bound thing? Yeah. Uh, it's probably not them. Right, exactly. What we're talking about here is, is unbinding. And when we're unbound by those things, it's a lot easier to unbind others. Exactly. The people who are best equipped, best, uh, best ready mm-hmm. to unbind other people are people who have experienced this kind of unbinding for themselves. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know about you, Chris, but I, I, I experience this a lot. In, in talking with people about how many people are holding on to stuff, putting stuff so far down that, it, 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 that its only way out is to bubble up as shame. Yeah. And, and so often what people are holding and, and finding and keeping secret and, and um, ashamed of are, from my perspective, ephemera. Yeah. Right? It's not, I'm not and I don't say that to like belittle. No, no. What I'm saying is that like we have we have bound ourselves in things that are not important. Not I don't even want to say not, not as important. consequential as not we as make them out to be. Right, right. Yeah, we put a lot more importance in our own failures and in the failures of others yeah. than perhaps they deserve. Right. I remember reading the Babysitters Club when I was a little girl, and there was a character on there named Dawn. Mm-hmm. And what I remember about Dawn was she was always described like a duck. Oh. And I remember thinking that was really strange the first time I read it. And then I read another book and they're introducing however many characters and they're trying to find short ways to introduce them. Right. And Dawn is the duck. Dawn is the duck. Dawn lets things roll off her back, back. like water off a duck's back. back. And I remember thinking like, well, that's not me. <laughs> I'm going to go for it. Somebody, somebody tries to drop some water on me, man, I'm pulling out the super <laughs> soaker. soaker right? uh, but as I've grown older, I realized how important it is to be able to let things roll off. Right. Well, and, and to also put things in their proper place. Yeah. And, like, and if there's a big thing, I mean, we're talking about things that we've built up in our heads, but even big things mm-hmm. get bigger the longer you leave them alone. Right. That it helps to get it kind of out as early as you can, as early as it's appropriate without harming somebody else and, and work on it rather than letting it sit in a dark closet for a long time because that mold will grow. It will grow. It will grow. So Richard Rohr says the only sustainable future for humanity is through apology, healing, and forgiveness. Because there's only so many times we can slap back and forth at each other. The only sustainable way forward is through apology, healing, and forgiveness. And we start with 
this accountability, this confession, being willing to be open with another person. So Susan, you had like a historical example of yeah, this. Yeah, so the historical the historical thing about the, uh, this is the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that happened in South Africa. After apartheid. After apartheid, right. And um, when you look at that, that the histori- history of those moments. Of, so tell us what it is for people who don't aren't familiar with apartheid. Yeah, um, no, aren't familiar with the truth. So and- the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was a was a initiative by um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu when he was president to bring wholeness and healing back to their to South Africa, mm-hmm. uh, to allow healing and wholeness. Because if you look at history, um, situations like the one in South Africa could have been handled very differently. Of course. Right? It could have been coup after coup. I'm right. You're wrong. Oh, it could have been the expulsion of everyone who yeah. wasn't on either side. Yeah, the all or nothing mentality. The all or nothing mentality. And instead, what happened was they had these commissions where people who were involved in, in frankly, the atrocities of that historical period could come and admit to their role in the thing. Right. Right. And instead of being thrown in jail for being awful people, they were given the opportunity for reconciliation and truth and healing. Right. And imagine how big an impact that makes on the person who's been carrying it around in their chest. Mm -hmm. I did all these awful things. And on the people who are hearing somebody admit, yeah, the thing you did to me was awful. Right. Right. It's powerful when we can just let, let what is truth be known. Right. It gives the opportunity for there to be actual relationship, actual transformation um, in ways that cutting off communication and villainizing eliminates. Right. It's It's a sure foundation for sure for a sustainable future together for people to actually heal. And so... Um, this accountability thing is tough uh, to admit to God, ourselves, and another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. This is tough. Uh, it's a it's a trust test in some mm-hmm. ways. Do mm-hmm. you trust um, Do you trust God? And is there another person around that you trust enough to know what you're struggling with? Can you be an anamkara for somebody who needs to confess what's going on with them? Yeah. Can you be a soul friend? Who doesn't reflect back judgment or your own first reaction, but can reflect back God's unconditional love. Right. Can you listen to somebody else's stuff without taking it on yourself? Um, this is this is the work this week. Amen. At the United Methodist Annual Conference for California, Nevada, recently, uh, yeah. we wrote letters to the governors of Nevada and California. And uh, they passed unanimously uh, these letters to Gavin Newsom and Steve Sisolak requesting that these governors would allow nonviolent drug offenders to be released from prison and have their records expunged. expunged. Uh, This because, one, our prisons are super overcrowded. Two, marijuana is legal now in both states. And so people who have been punished for the thing that other folks are now making money off of seems uh, unjust. Yeah, Yeah. disingenuous and unjust. to be able to say, you know, it's so easy for these things, once you get into the justice system, to just snowball. Right. Uh, because people no longer see a way forward. To give people an opportunity for a fresh start is your best way forward. And so we wrote these letters and said, you know, we believe. We believe, yes. As, the, as United Methodists, we believe that, that these people deserve a second chance. We wrote a second letter 
We were not allowed to write it to Steve Sisolak because it was a thank you letter to Gavin Newsom for ending the death penalty. Mm. We still have the death penalty in Nevada. In fact, Nevada and Nebraska are the two states that have been talking about experimenting with opioids to perform execution Mm. because it doesn't require a doctor and it doesn't require specialty medication that pharmaceutical companies will no longer sell to the states that perform execution. Um, They've been talking about using fentanyl. If it's killing so many other people, why can't we use it to kill prisoners? And then a prison guard can do it instead of a doctor and on and on. What nonsense. And so the United Methodist Church is strongly opposed to the death penalty, uh, believes the state should not put itself in the position of choosing who lives and who dies, particularly given the rates at which we get it wrong. Amen. The rates at which it's misapplied. Hence the beginning story of this podcast. Yeah. And so... To be able to say thank you to the governor of California for ending this process that doesn't allow people to have a redemptive way forward. I would love to be able to write that letter to Steve Sislak yeah, one day. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? So, anyway. So, we're all a work in progress. Yep. Our government's a work in progress. Our justice system is a work in progress. And this idea of restorative justice has been snowballing recently. And we hope it continues to grow and we can have real conversations Yeah. about how... We relate to one another on individual levels and and on a state level. For sure. So, thanks for listening to the Sunday Morning Sleep In podcast. The scripture for this podcast will be posted in the archive. You can click on the links there and see all of the scriptures. If you have questions for us or stories that relate to what we've been talking about, you can catch us on Facebook or at our website, sundaymorningsleepin.com. You can shoot us an email, sundaymorningsleepin at gmail.com. And the theme music you're hearing is Take Me Higher by Jazzer. At the end of a worship service, we send people out with a benediction ascending forth, reminding us that the work is not yet done, that Sunday morning is just the beginning. And so we remind you again that this this time with you, this conversation, we are not yet done. Mm -hmm. God is not yet done. And so I invite you into this restorative work for yourself for your family, for your community, for the world. May you have courage. Amen. Amen.